Jesus came to offer a different kind of kingdom. It was and is a kingdom of the heart. There are basically two aspects of the kingdom of God. There is the material aspect. That's what we can see all around us, the planets, the stars, the universe. And we know that Jesus is and always has been the king of the material universe. But Jesus came to offer a kingdom of the heart, whereby he would move in the hearts of people and believers in order to change them and save them and offer them eternal life. And this kingdom is not like any other kind of kingdom. It has no walls. It has no territory, no borders. It's a kingdom of the heart. And so here we are now in what is called the church age, and that's the time between the ascension of Christ and the return of Christ. And we have a mandate to step in and help Jesus build this kingdom. And we see this mandate in the book of Matthew. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's our job. Simply put, it's our turn. And so this morning we're going to talk more about developing habits that will help us to do that. Missional habits, we call them. And we're going to use this acronym BELLS that we've been working through the last few weeks. And we began with the idea of blessing others through a word, through a, a deed that would be meaningful. And I I heard this week that one of our Ridgewooders was buying coffee for somebody in line in order to bless. And that was exciting, except that I wasn't the one they were buying the coffee for. That was disappointing. And then we talked about eating with others, using food as a center point to bring people around a table that you may not know, as Jesus so often did, using food to minister to people. And so have you blessed someone this week? Have you eaten with someone this week that you don't know or someone that you're familiar with and you want to get to know better? Last week we talked about listen. We talked about being still and knowing that God is speaking to us, directing us and helping us know how to engage in this mission. And today we're going to do learn, which means to learn Jesus. To, to, to not just learn about Jesus, but to learn Jesus. And then next week, we'll talk about being sent missionaries. And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is still, in, still building his kingdom of the heart, fulfilling the new covenant in Jeremiah. He is building this kingdom so people can have eternal life. And so today we're going to learn how we can do that, how we can help capture souls, how we can capture hearts, how we can make new lanterns. And that's what we want to do. We want to make Jesus known, and this is how we're going to do it, by forming these missional habits. So take your Bibles, if you would, and just turn with me. We're going to jump around a little bit this morning, but turn with me to the book of John, chapter 21, beginning in verse 24. John 21 verse 24, and you can, if you'd like, you can just take the Bible that you find in front of you, and you can turn to page 908, or you can download 
the Ridgewood app or open the Ridgewood app and all of it will be right there in front of you. John 21, beginning in verse 24. This is really an interesting little section of Scripture. Because John, John is about to confess to us that he was not able, because of the sheer volume, to write down all the works of Jesus, all of the things he said. And the point I'm trying to get across to you as we begin this morning is that the study of Christ is an unbelievable pursuit because you never, ever run out of material. And we, you may have been sitting in church for a long time and saying, well, I already know all this. Well, I'm sorry if you feel that way because I'd say you're missing a pretty exciting journey. Look what John says here beginning in verse 24. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Jesus is an amazing person who did amazing things and continues to do that today. And so this is not a casual thing I'm asking you to do. In order to learn Jesus, there has to be a commitment from the heart. We we need to decide, yes, this is worth my time. This is worth my priority because there's just too much. And we continue to learn more about him. Every time we read through a gospel, it seems We thought we knew that, but then God is always speaking to me saying, you didn't really know that, did you? Because he's always speaking through his word. To discover the methodology of Jesus, to study how he lived his life and how he did his mission, it takes commitment. It takes a decision to do that. And these two verses that John wrote sum it up. They were likely written by him, maybe a or, or a, an exhortation from another writer saying, we know this testimony is true, maybe a leader in Ephesus. But what he's saying, John, is, is that all of this stuff I've written, and John's a long book. It just doesn't even, it doesn't even begin to cover what Jesus did. And we're going to go through John beginning in the first of the year, and I'm really excited about that. This uh, theologian named Edward A. Blum said this. He said, someone has estimated that it takes about three hours to say the Gospels out loud. But if all the infinite Son of God did during his incarnation, in other words, his ministry on earth, the resulting commentary would be endless. The amazing thing about Jesus is the more we know, the more we want to know, the more we learn, the more we really don't know, because the depth of this person is amazing. And it's a life-changing enterprise. And so I'm, I'm asking you to do that so that we can offer him to others. You can't offer someone to others that you don't really know. The life of Jesus just has scores of material to it. And so as you read, you're going to come and you're going to see some trends about how he did his ministry where he spent his time, who did he talk to, confronting the religious elite. And one of the trends you're going to see is this. You're going to see that the example Jesus drives us toward humility and servanthood, just the antithesis of the world we live in. So also, as you begin to learn Jesus, hook your seatbelt, because you're going to be challenged on your worldview. You're going to be challenged on what we've learned here growing up in 
the United States or wherever you might have grown up in the West, for sure. And so in order to understand this more, I want you to turn just a few pages back to John chapter 13, verse 14. This is back on page 900 in that Bible you're using, if it's one of our Bibles. John 13, beginning in verse 14. This is a verse that I think culturally we have a hard time understanding because we don't wash each other's feet normally. And please don't touch my feet ever. But in Jesus' day, this was a big deal, and it was a sign of absolute humility. And so look at this in John 13, beginning in verse 14. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. The Lord's ministry always has been based on servanthood and humility. There is no pl place in, in the kingdom of Jesus for self-righteousness and arrogance. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who he has been. That's not what this kingdom is made of. And the, the amazing thing about that is that he's an amazing God. Like to study the majesty of Christ is, is breathtaking, and here he is watching the feet of the disciples. I mean, he is the great I am in John 8. He is the king of the universe in Colossians 1. He is the great high priest in Hebrews 4. What's he doing washing the feet of these guys? Peter said, I'm not, you can't, I don't want you to do this. I'm not worthy of this. What he's doing is he's showing us how we are to conduct ourselves in the kingdom of Jesus. And it's challenging. And it's convicting. We are to do the same. We draw people to Christ by this kind of an attitude. But the disciples, they didn't get it. Like they were always arguing about who's going to be the greatest. I would have loved to have been around one of those fireside chats, you know, when they're camping or something. They're always saying, no, you're going to be, the, you're, I'm going to be the greatest. What, why are you the greatest? John, why are you sitting there? I want to be the, they didn't get it. But Jesus kept reminding them that my kingdom is about humility and serving others. The only way that we're going to make an impact in our community is if we are about serving the people in our community in a way that is full of humility, that radiates a servant spirit. We see this again in the book of Matthew. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In other words, when, you, when this kingdom of yours is consummated, who's going to be top, top of the ladder? And Jesus answered, as he so did, with incredible wisdom, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is flipping their priority system. He's setting the priority systems of his kingdom. He brought a child, and at that time, children didn't have any rights by the law. And so he's bringing this child, and he's saying, you're all arguing about who's going to be the greatest. This child I have in front of me, this is what I want you to be like. 
And the disciples must have looked at each other with kind of these, what is he talking about sort of looks? But Jesus made it really clear. And so I ask you, as you begin to learn about Jesus, the Bible's going to convict you. And before you even begin the process, I ask that you pray for humility and vulnerability. And that you let the Bible speak to you about who Jesus is and how you can line up with the priorities in his kingdom. And the questions I would ask you are, are you vulnerable enough that when you land on something that isn't lining up, are you willing to change? Are you willing to make an adjustment? Are you willing to confess that to God? Or are you just going to breeze past that? As you study the strategy of Jesus, one of the most fascinating things you'll do is, as you read through the Gospels, and as you see Jesus do his ministry, his strategy is amazing. He knows what people to be with. He knows how to confront the religious elite. His end game is to get people saved. So when you see that strategy, are you willing to adopt that strategy in your own life? Even if it means being uncomfortable. Even if it means being called a friend of sinners. (gasps) Don't want that. Except that's what Jesus was called by those who were mocking him. It's a badge of honor. And then, as you go through this process and you're learning more about Jesus, are you willing to say, you know what? I'm going to lay everything down in order to follow him. That's a dangerous, scary prayer. I'll give you everything. Because I see how your kingdom works. Your kingdom is of giving up. Your kingdom is of relinquishing. Your kingdom is not of gaining. It is giving away. And so as you go through this process, are you willing to let him speak to you? Because here's Jesus, he's washing the feet of his disciples. And he's building this kingdom of the heart. Because that's how he's ministering to his culture. That's what he's doing to get people to be attracted to his kingdom. But what's interesting is, not very many people actually got it. You know, Jesus was a rock star for a while. Like, who wouldn't be? He was going around Palestine healing people. I mean, there were thousands of people following him wherever he went. But then when he started to teach them about what it meant to follow him and what they would have to give up and what servanthood was all about, the Bible says they all left. And there were a few meager standarounds, and he looked at Peter and said, are you going to leave too, Peter? Oh, Peter's response is, is breathtaking. Well, where else would I go? You're, you're the son of God. <laughs> Love that. So that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. But here's something I want to I give you that I think is really important. As you're learning the truth, I want you to base your quest on Scripture. I want you to, to, to use Scripture as your, your headquarters, so to speak, because this is where we find truth. We're going to look at a verse in a moment that you all know, that talks about shining a light in front of us through the Word of God. And a psalmist wrote it. It might have been David. It might have been Asaph. It might have been Solomon. But the the, the psalmist was in trouble. And so he needed something to to comfort him, something to direct him. So if you look at this verse, and you know it's Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
We need this light. Things are dark around us. This week has been a a discouraging week for America. I haven't heard people, after watching that hearing, whatever side they are, I don't care, it's people are using words like sad, frustrated, sinking, feeling in my stomach, these kinds of things because of what they saw. Go to the Word and find your light. This is what informs truth. We, we aren't informed by what we're seeing happen around us. And this is what God is calling us to do. Because the Bible is saturated with Christ. He's mentioned over a thousand times in the New Testament. The whole Old Testament is about Jesus. It's looking forward to the cross. From the very first page. It's saturated with Christ. So if you want to learn about Jesus, if you want to learn Christ, if you want to learn his personhood, that's where you need to go. And it's needed in our culture because there's all kinds of crazy views of who Jesus is. This is a part of a Barna poll that came out. Barna is a, is a polling agency that does a lot of things about religious um, ideas and, and movements. And according to this poll, most adults, not quite 6 in 10, believe Jesus was God, 56%. Well, that seems hopeful. While about one quarter says he was only a religious or spiritual leader like Muhammad or Buddha, 26%, the remaining one in six say they aren't sure whether Jesus was divine. So you have almost half and half, half of people that don't believe Jesus was who he said he is. But if you go to Scripture, there's no debate about that. In John 1.1, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, Jesus, he was with God and The Word was God. So you need to be informed by the Bible as you study Jesus, as you learn Jesus. In the same poll, about half of Americans agree, either strongly or somewhat, that while he lived on earth, Jesus Christ was human and committed sins like other people, 52%. Again, the biblical truth, 1 Peter 2.22, he committed no sin, nor was there deceit found in his mouth. Because if he did sin, the whole idea of a sacrificial atonement falls apart. And so you've got to stay centered in the word. Dave Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group, and he directed this survey, and here's what he said about it. He said, there isn't much argument about whether Jesus Christ actually was a historical person, but nearly everything else about his life generates enormous and sometimes rancorous debate. And so where are you going to go to find your truth? It's in Scripture that you find it. There's no debate about who Jesus is in Scripture. There's no debate about his character, his divinity. There's no debate about who he is as a person or his mission. And if we understand who Jesus is, and we're committed to that, and we're excited about that, it's okay to be excited about Jesus, even in a Baptist church. That's what's going to be appealing to our community. Not that we know everything or that we think we have everything right. That's not appealing. Honestly, the person person that doesn't know Jesus that's over at Cub Foods right now could care less if you know good theology. You can walk up to him and go like, hey man, I've got my pneumatology all set. I know all about the Holy Spirit. They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Or, yeah, yeah, I go to church, man, I've been through BSF, Bible study 
fellowship. And I know the Bible. And they're going to look at you like, who cares? What they're going to look for is someone who's humble and cares about them. Then you can begin to introduce those kinds of things. Because that's the kingdom of Christ. But where it needs to start for you is, do you even know Jesus? Are you even a follower of Jesus? Because I'm convinced the more I see churches and the more I watch the the evangelical world operate, that there are a lot of people sitting in churches that think they're believers because they know it all and really have never come to the point of submitting their lives to Christ. And the whole idea that Jesus is introducing is that there is sin, and sin has broken all of us. Man, when I was watching that hearing, a little bit of it, I was listening to some of it while I was driving around, and it was just so sickening, the whole thing. And I thought, sin has broken us. So if we believe that, then something had to happen to repair it, because God isn't like this. God is holy. He doesn't God doesn't act like this. So how are we going to be reconciled to God? It took Jesus to come and introduce this new kingdom. And it took Jesus to go to this cross that we talk about all of the time and die there and take all of that sin upon himself. And there he paid the price for it for those who believe in him. And then he rose from the dead and proclaimed victory. And all who believe in him can now have eternal life. That means you never die. Now, are we excited about that? Are we grateful for that? Do we burn for people that don't know that? Or are we just okay being a Christian? And and be glad that we're not like those other people. That's not good enough. That's not even biblical. And so I'm calling you today to to learn Jesus so that you can know him as your Savior and that you can help others to know him as their Savior. Because humility is the mark of a follower of Jesus. Honestly, I'll be honest with you. I am so frustrated with this quote-unquote evangelical uh, community that we talk about in America. I just call myself a follower of Jesus because I'm not even sure where I land in but followers of Jesus, they, they, they look at him and they go like, how can I be like him? How can I relate to him? How can I love him more? And so that's what we're calling you to do so we can make Jesus known. So here are some practical things I can give you before we go. Practical ways to learn Jesus. And again, I want to just emphasize that we're not talking about learning about Jesus theologically. But we're learning Jesus personally. There's a big difference. And so here are some practical ways to learn. First, spend at least one period of time each week learning Jesus. This is much like we talked about with listening. You've got to spend the time. You've got to set it aside. Even within, if you're a person who's really committed to spending time with God every week or every day, then take some of that time and make it about Jesus. Pray Christological prayers. And what I mean by that is this. Pray to Jesus and thank him for who he is. Ask him to reveal himself to you. And if you're not comfortable with that, if you're, if you're one that prays to the Father about Jesus, that's fine too. Just say, thank you for Jesus. Just 
Help me to understand who Jesus is. Help me to be transformed by Jesus. And soak yourself in Jesus. Otherwise, you're never going to get to it. And that way, you might find a new depth of love for Jesus. Do you ever feel like there's times in your life, I know I do, that feel like you, you know all you need to know, you have faith, but you're just dry inside. And there'll be times I'd be sitting downstairs in the morning praying, and there's just nothing going on in here. It's kind of just like, huh, dead zone. And I think that's part of who we are as humans, and that happens. But I think, too, that we need that time with Jesus to cultivate that love that springs us back to life. Because that's what, that's what people around us are attracted to. And so spend that time. And then I would say this as well. Study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Study the Gospels. The Gospels are about the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you know what? I would say this. Try to read them through in one sitting. Not all of them, but one at a time in one sitting because then you get the whole context of what Jesus is doing. So many times in Sunday school, we teach kids stories. You know, today we're going to talk about how Jesus healed the man who was at the pool and couldn't get into the water. And so, hey, what would you learn in Sunday school? We learned that Jesus healed the man who couldn't get into the water. That's great. But do we know what Jesus was doing before that, that led to that moment? Do we know what Jesus was doing after? Do we know how that fits into his salvation plan? Do we know what the man did after? No. But when you read the gospel all the way through... You do. And then each gospel writer comes at it from a different angle with a different purpose. So I would say study the gospels. And then you can also read other sources about Jesus too, but make sure that they're anchored in the Bible. Study the authors so you know that they're good, solid authors. On Amazon, you just click their names. You get a full bio. Read it through. Study. Make sure that they're anchored in Scripture. But don't be afraid to read other stuff. I'm not saying that. But read the right stuff. And then lastly, I would say, instead of being afraid of technology or criticizing it all the time, use it to your advantage. We have never lived in a time that has more tools that we can use to study Jesus than we do right now. We've got apps that have study tools just when you click on a word. You can turn your app into um, a, a sermon. You can listen to the Bible. There are times at night when I, I start in a gospel, thinking this is going to be great. I'm going to listen to the gospel. I fall asleep. I wake up. I've listened to the entire New Testament, which is awesome because I don't really have to read anymore. <laughs> and I probably recited the whole thing to Wendy, too, and she's laying there at night going, will you turn that off, please? Saturating yourself in Jesus. That's what I'm asking you to do. That's what I want for you. I, listen, I don't want you to play church anymore. That's not satisfying. That's not why we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus because he gave us a clear command. I am sending you out to make disciples, and I've already modeled it for you. I was about the business of making disciples in my time on earth, and one day my kingdom will be consummated, and all those who came to know me will be with me forever. And as a church, that's why we want to make Jesus known through community impact. 
And we want to learn the ways that Jesus did that and how he built his kingdom because we know Jesus was after hearts. Jesus had no time for the religious elite. He he didn't like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the quote-unquote theologically correct ones. The Sadducees were the liberal theologians. They didn't believe there was an afterlife. What Jesus wanted was hearts, not religion. And so if we do that, if we can somehow fall in line with that, man, we can add lanterns. Souls can be saved through the work of Ridgewood Church with God's help. But we need to learn Jesus in order to make him known. So what I want to do is just take a moment, just put your stuff away. Let's just spend a moment in prayer. And what I want you to do is to ask to ask God, will you give me a thirst for Jesus? Will you help me to know Jesus? And if you've never given your life to Jesus, now is the time with your eyes closed that you can just say, I want to be your child. I have faith that you are who you say you are. So just take a moment in silence, and then I'll close in prayer. Lord, there's nothing we can do that has eternal value without you. We can't change a life. We can't even change our own lives. We can't change our eternal destiny without you. And so as we learn you, will you please help us to depend on you? Will you please help us to fall so deeply in love with you that we want nothing else in our lives? Lord, we believe the Bible when it tells us that you are the only one that can come to our defense and declare us to be righteous because of sin. Thank you for the payment you made on the cross for us. Help us to have that kind of servant heart toward others. Help us to be willing to give our lives for others and be willing to give our lives for your kingdom. Help us to hold nothing back. Help us to be willing to give it all away. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.